Well, good morning. If you are visiting with us today, I'm Steve Hammer. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, we are very glad that you are with us today. We have been looking for several weeks now at how to wreck your life. We've been looking at ways that you can totally ruin your family and your health and your finances and your future. And well, actually, we have been hopefully looking at ways to avoid wrecking your life by listening to the wisdom of a man named Solomon. We've been looking at Ecclesiastes, which is the journal that he wrote late in his life after making choices that wrecked his life. As we begin this message, let's bow and let's pray together, shall we? Heavenly Father, in this room, many people come from many different circumstances today. Some are just enjoying life. Things are going really well, and uh, we praise you for that. Others, Father, are hurting. Others are searching. Some, Father, need today your comfort and your encouragement. Some need your training. Some need correction. And so, Father, we pray that you will just open our hearts to what you want to say to us today. Father, I pray that uh, you might use my humble words so that people can hear your heart and your direction today. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, every week I kind of spend a little bit of time trying to figure out how I'm going to start my message. And this week I thought about starting by sharing with you a few of the most embarrassing moments of my life. I thought I would share the most embarrassing moments of my life, but after going through two or three of the most embarrassing moments of my life, I realized I am not going to share those moments with you because it would be embarrassing. I would be too embarrassed to share that. Yet, it seems many people are willing to share publicly things that I think should embarrass them. Isn't that the whole thing with reality TV? I mean, we have all sorts of people doing embarrassing things on TV and uh, not seeming to care. And people will talk openly about their sins and about their failures and about their problems in front of a nationwide audience that they don't even know. And that, that just amazes me. That amazes me. But there is one admission that people hate to make whether they are a star on television or just someone who sits in front of a television and watches it, it's just too embarrassing. It penetrates too deeply to the core of who they are. And when writer Marla Paul reluctantly confessed it in a newspaper column in the Chicago Tribune, she was secretly hoping no one would read it. Her admission? She was lonely. She admitted she was lonely. The loneliness saddens me, Marla wrote. How did it happen that I could be 42 years old and not have enough friends? She said some changes in her life, including moving to a different state and deciding to work at home, ruptured her circle of relationships. And it seems as if every woman's friendship quota has been filled and she is no longer accepting new applicants. She finally asked her husband, is it me? She was starting to wonder. Or were people just too busy 
for new friends? Were they so enmeshed in existing relationships that they were closed off to any new acquaintances? Or, she added, am I just imagining that everyone else has this tight cadre of fellowship except me? The response to her column was surprising. The day after Marla's column appeared, the telephone started ringing. People stopped her on the street and at her daughter's school. Letters poured in from housewives and executives and university professors. And the column generated seven times more mail than usual. They wanted to share their frustrations and their estrangement, Marla said. All were tremendously relieved to discover they weren't the only ones. Wrote, a, wrote one working mother of two, the column helped ease my growing paranoia that I was becoming a social outcast for no reason I could fathom. Another woman from a, a rural community wrote, now I know it's not because I have red hair and a pug nose. You start looking for what's wrong with you. Another person wrote, I feel like a mutant warthog why else are people so disinterested in returning my friendship overtures? Many, many people were touched by her article. But maybe you're one who believes that loneliness just isn't that big of a deal. That social isolation isn't that big of a problem. Consider the following. According to Los Angeles psychiatrist and author Leonard Zunin, in one year, one year, the average American today probably meets as many people as the average person did in a lifetime 100 years ago, and yet he or she are far lonelier. There's a big difference between being lonely and being alone, and the presence of other people doesn't help at all. Just having people around doesn't solve the problem of loneliness. In fact, it might actually increase it. Meeting so many people ends up in encouraging superficial relationships. And superficial relationships reinforce the fact that no one really knows us well. And this underscores our feelings of isolation and our feelings of loneliness. I read several recent studies in preparation for this message. Let me try to sum up some of what the studies found. The first thing that the studies found is social isolation is unhealthy. It's unhealthy. When Elvis sang, I feel so lonely I could die, it turns out he might have been right. Research has found the health risks of feeling lonely as well as, the, as actual social isolation surpass those associated with obesity. Lacking social connections can be as damaging to health as being an alcoholic or smoking up to 15 cigarettes a day. Loneliness and social isolation are risk factors for coronary heart disease and strokes. Chronic loneliness can increase the chances of high blood pressure. Loneliness is a risk factor for cognitive decline. Loneliness can be really unhealthy. In a Senate hearing, uh, Senator Susan Collins said, quote, isolation and loneliness are associated with higher rates of heart disease, a weakened immune system, more depression and anxiety, dementia, including Alzheimer's disease, and nursing home admissions. So, uh, 
social isolation is unhealthy, but studies also show social isolation is contagious. It's contagious. A 2009 study using data collected from roughly 5,000 people and their offspring from Framingham, Massachusetts since 1948 found that uh, participants are 52% more likely to be lonely if someone that they're directly connected to, such as a friend or a neighbor or a co-worker or a family member, is lonely. People who aren't lonely tend to then become lonelier if they're around people who are lonely. Why? Well, uh, the study goes on to say lonely people are less able to pick up on uh, positive social stimuli like others' attention and commitment signals, and so they withdraw prematurely in many cases before they're actually socially isolated, and their inexplicable withdrawal may in turn make their close connections feel lonely too. Lonely people also tend to act in, quote, uh, a less trusting and more hostile fashion, which may further sever social ties and impact loneliness in others. This is how, as Dr. Nicholas Christakis told the New York Times in a 2009 article on the Framingham findings, one lonely person can destabilize an entire social network like a single thread unraveling a sweater. And so if you are lonely, you transmit loneliness. And then you cut the tie or the other person cuts the tie, but now that person has been affected and they proceed to behave in the same way. And there's this cascade of loneliness that causes a disintegration of social networks. Lastly, social isolation is going viral. It's going viral, and this is especially true with millennials, people from the ages of 17 through 37. And the experts think the main reason for this is the internet. It's the internet. In her article, Why Millennials Are Lonely, Caroline Beaton writes, quote, it is not a coincidence that loneliness began to surge two years after Apple launched its first commercial personal computer and five years before the invention of the World Wide Web. Ironically, we use the internet to alleviate our loneliness. Social connections no longer require a car or a phone call or uh, a plan, just a click. And it seems to work World of Warcraft players experience less social anxiety and less loneliness when online than in the real world. The internet temporarily enhances the social satisfaction and behavior of lonely people who are more likely to go online when they feel isolated or depressed or anxious. The internet provides, as David Brooks wrote in a New York Times column last fall, a day of happy touch points. But the internet can eventually isolate us and stunt our remaining relationships. Beaton goes on to say, one reason the internet makes us lonely is we attempt to substitute real relationships with online relationships. Though we temporarily feel better when we engage others virtually, these connections tend to be superficial and ultimately dissatisfying. Online social contacts are not an effective alternative for offline social interactions, sums one study. 
So loneliness and social isolation are real problems in our world, and uh, they're real problems today, and it's not getting better, it's getting worse. The general social survey found that the number of Americans with no close friends has tripled since 1985. Zero is the most common number of confidence reported by almost a quarter of those surveyed. And likewise, the average number of people Americans feel that they can talk to about important matters has fallen from three to two. Now, I've seen this grow in my years in ministry. I have seen many, many people seem to decide that their life will be better if they withdraw from people. People who were socially engaged suddenly seem to think that if they withdraw and hold back and they limit their friendships and their interactions to only a few people that their life will get better. And yet, as we have just talked about, it is a dangerous and harmful trend. Solomon and I would agree that isolating yourself is a really, really good way to wreck your life. It's a really good way to wreck your life. But instead of spending more time looking at the dangers, I want to use what Solomon says in chapter 4 of Ecclesiastes to give us four actions that we can take to avoid wrecking our lives by isolating ourselves. First, Solomon says, to avoid wrecking your life through isolation, minimize past hurts. Minimize past hurts. Now, this isn't to say that you pretend that they weren't there or you pretend that they didn't hurt as much, but we've got to admit that our world is a pretty hurtful place. I mean, we sometimes just get overwhelmed by the pain in our lives and the pain in the lives around us, and this isn't unique to us. Solomon experienced the same thing. Look at what it says at the beginning of Ecclesiastes chapter 4. Again, I saw all the people who were mistreated here on earth. I saw their tears and that they had no one to comfort them. Cruel people had all the power and there was no one to comfort those they hurt. I decided that the dead are better off than the living. But those who have never been born are better off still. They have not seen the evil that is done here on earth. Now we've already said Solomon can sometimes be a fairly depressing, discouraging guy, and this might be one of those verses, but I'm sure that you can associate with at least one of the groups that Solomon mentions. I mean, I'm guessing you've been mistreated and hurt by someone, or that cruel, powerful people have hurt you. But Solomon goes to the extreme of saying dead people or those who were never born are better off because they don't have to experience that pain. And sometimes we feel that way, don't we? Sometimes we've thought that. There have been a few hurts in my family uh, in the past few years that I'm really glad that my mom was not alive to experience. Sometimes we think people who are gone or people who have never been born might be better off. And people try to avoid hurt And they often pull away and they isolate themselves. But social isolation also hurts. And the solution is to minimize the effects that you allow your past hurts to have on you. So let me make some suggestions on healthy ways that you can do that. The first is this. Avoid running from conflict rather than resolving them. 
Avoid running from conflicts instead of resolving them. One of the biggest mistakes people make that causes them to isolate themselves is to run away from conflicts rather than using the biblical principles that Jesus provides to try to resolve their conflict. I mean, people leave friendships and churches and jobs and even their families because they've been hurt. But they find when they've been hurt, it's just uncomfortable to try to resolve the problem in a biblical way, so they don't. And by the way, Jesus gives very specific guidelines and suggestions for resolving conflict in Matthew chapter 18. I can tell you those principles work when they're put into practice. I can also tell you even by people who claim to follow Jesus, they're not often put into practice. People run rather than trying to resolve. And they let their hurt and their bitterness fester, and they run instead of resolving, and the result is loneliness and isolation. So if you want to avoid isolation, minimize your past hurts by resolving conflict rather than running. Secondly, another suggestion is avoid the temptation to build protective walls. Avoid the temptation to build protective walls. And this is so natural and so easy for us to do. We were hurt by someone or we were hurt by a church. And so we decide that we're never again going to allow anyone to get that close to us. We're never again going to be that involved in a church because we are never going to let that hurt happen again. And so we build a wall so that no one can penetrate it, so that we can avoid ever feeling that pain again. But the problem is when we build a wall to shield us from the pain that that same wall tends to restrict our access to real relationships. That same wall tends to restrict our access to sincere friendships and to real joy. And instead of feeling the pain of broken relationships and conflict, we feel the pain of loneliness and bitterness and fear. And I want to tell you, I believe those pains, loneliness and bitterness and fear, are far worse than the hurts and the conflicts and broken relationships. So when you have been hurt by people, work really hard to actively resist the temptation to build a protective wall and to protect yourself from uh, those people and from that hurt. One more suggestion. Avoid making choices that increase your hurt. Avoid making choices that increase your hurt. Sometimes our choices for trying to deal with our isolation and our loneliness just make our hurt worse than it ever was before. Consider what a 23-year-old single woman named Cindy told a writer over a glass of white wine at TGI Fridays in New York City. She said, I hate this place. I hate having to wait in line to get in. I hate the way the guys look you up and down as you walk in as if you were a piece of meat. I hate the guys who look you in the eye five minutes after they meet you and ask, your place or mine? I hate this place. But I come here every Friday night. This is the only hope of meeting dateable men. Wow. That is really sad. Some of the ways people try to solve the problem of loneliness and hurt actually just cause more hurt. Overusing alcohol or other chemicals, sexual promiscuity, 
internet relationships and other unhealthy choices can all increase your hurt rather than helping you deal with it. So first, minimize past hurts and the effect it has on your life. Secondly, maximize your opportunities. Maximize your opportunities. Look at what Solomon says in verses 7 and 8. Again, I saw something here on earth that was useless. I saw a man who had no family, no son or brother. He always worked hard, but was never satisfied with what he had. He never asked himself, for whom am I working so hard? Why don't I let myself enjoy life? This also is very sad and useless. Solomon is saying people who had the opportunity for relationships, people who had the opportunity for friendships that would help them overcome isolation, that would help them overcome their loneliness, often missed those opportunities because they were too busy pursuing their career goals or too busy pursuing their financial uh, goals. And we all have the opportunity to break out of our loneliness and our isolation by building new friendships and by enhancing the relationships that we already have. And how do you do that? Well, one simple solution is just pay attention to what Jesus wrote in what we now call the uh, golden rule. Jesus' words are these, treat others just as you want to be treated. Apply that to maximizing your opportunities for friendship. With that scripture as our guide, let me give you a few suggestions. First, take the risk of initiating contact. Take the risk of initiating contact. The way to begin real relationships is to do what we wish others were doing for us. If we want people to invite us to dinner after services today, take the initiative and you invite them to go to dinner with you. They may have plans for today, but even if they do, you can set up a different time uh, to get together. Initiating the contact gets the uh, conversation started. And if you're sad because you don't have any plans for the weekend, start inviting people over for a game night on the weekend or invite people to join you for a movie. And by the way, often putting something on social media, this seems common today, who wants to go to the movie with me, doesn't get much of a response. That doesn't seem to work very well. You know why that is? It is because just like you, people, uh, just like you want people to contact you and invite you directly, your friends and your potential friends want you to invite them, to contact them directly. And so make the direct invitation. And when you do these things, it will lead to some casual relationships, some superficial relationships. They won't be very satisfying to start with. you got to know that that's going to happen. But remember this. No deep and lasting friendship began without it first being a casual, superficial friendship. And so that's where it starts. That's where it starts. So initiate contact. A second suggestion. Turn off the devices and be present. Turn off your devices and be present. I'm working really hard to leave my cell phone in its case when I'm with people. Because if it's not in its case, if it's sitting there next to me on the table, I am too tempted to sneak a glance at what goes on there. And you understand, don't you, the message that you give when you sneak a glance at your cell phone when you're in a conversation with a real adult. 
please understand what you're saying. You are saying what's happening on my phone is more interesting and important than you. Men, that's the message you give to your wives. Wives, that's the message you give to your husbands. Parents, that's the message you give to your children. And it's no wonder we struggle with friendships when our devices are right there. And I think some people, by the way, even when there's a lull in the conversation, they don't know what to say next. That's kind of the, I don't want to look stupid, so I'll look like I'm doing something thing. And again, you're saying you're not important. This phone is. This device is. So turn off the devices and be present. Make sure you're physically present with the people you're trying to interact with. Lastly, risk authenticity and offer acceptance. Real and close relationships always involve authenticity and acceptance. Authenticity is when I dare to share some of the real hurts and deep feelings and opinions from my life. And acceptance happens when we don't think less of each other after we've been authentic and real and shared with each other. And so if I want you to be real with me, I have to be real with you. And if I want you to accept me with my hurts and dysfunction and differences, I have to be willing to accept you and you, with your hurts and your dysfunction and your differences. Now, another way to avoid wrecking your life through isolation is to emphasize helping others. Emphasize helping others. Jesus did an amazing thing during one of the loneliest times of his life. Jesus did this. He is literally hanging on the cross. One of the things he says while he's on the cross is, God, why have you turned your back on me? Why have you abandoned me? So he's feeling alone. He's feeling lonely. He's being ridiculed. He's in a painful time. He's in a lonely time. And while he is hanging on the cross, he looks down and he sees his mother Mary there at the foot of the cross. And he sees his good friend John there at the foot of the cross. And you know what Jesus did? He said, Mom, he's your son. And John, she's your mother. Even in that really lonely time of his life, he was thinking of others. He knew that they would need each other, that they would be lonely and he wanted to help them. And Solomon in his wisdom tells us that our relationships allow us to help each other. Look at what he says. Start with verse 9 of chapter 4. Two people are better than one because they get more done by working together. If one falls down, the other can help him up. But it is bad for the person who is alone and falls because no one is there to help. If two lie down together, they will be warm. But a person alone will not be warm. An enemy might defeat one person, but two people together can defend themselves. Now, I have used this passage many times for wedding ceremonies, probably for some of your wedding ceremonies. But when Solomon wrote these words, he really wasn't talking about marriage. His context really wasn't the marriage relationship. It was friendships. He's writing about real friendships. And by the way, the best marriages are real friendships. But there's two basic truths that he hints at here. The first truth is this. You need others. You need others. One of the ways we end up isolated and lonely 
is we think that we can do it all ourselves. We think that we can stand on our own, that we're independent enough, that we don't need other people, and trying to be self-sufficient and pretending we don't need anyone will lead to very real loneliness and isolation. You need people to help you to accomplish the things that God called you to accomplish. You need someone to help you up and to encourage you when you have fallen. And as this passage says, there is warmth and there is safety in numbers. And so admitting that you need others will help you to avoid isolation. The second truth is others need you. Others need you. Even if you were self-sufficient, which you aren't, there are other people who need you. And you can help them, you can encourage them, and you can be a friend to them. And the example of Jesus is to focus on helping others. One of the quickest ways for you to break out of your loneliness, one of the quickest ways for you to end the isolation is for you to get busy helping and serving other people. So volunteer to be a host here at the landing during the week or to serve with Impact Kids or to be a growth group leader or a growth group host uh, or just to offer to help a neighbor with a project or to volunteer with some other agency in town. But get busy helping and you will be surprised how quickly your loneliness is chased away and gone. There's one more way to avoid wrecking your life through isolation and that's recognize God's presence. Recognize God's presence. Solomon says something a little curious at the end of verse 12. Let's look at verse 12 again. An enemy might defeat one person, but two people together can defend themselves. A rope that is woven of three strings is hard to break. A rope that is woven with three strings is hard to break. Now, when I use this passage in a wedding ceremony, I indicate that the couple are two of those strands of rope and that Jesus wants to be the third strand woven into their relationship to make their relationship strong and to help it uh, not unravel. And the fact is, Jesus desires to be a part of all of your friendships. He desires to be that third string, that third strand in all of your relationships. And your relationships will always be stronger when they involve Jesus. No matter whether you're talking about a marriage or a friendship, they will always be stronger when Jesus is a part of them. But there's another truth here, and that is even when you do feel totally alone, when you feel totally isolated, don't forget that God is always with you and he will give you strength and he will give you help. Just before he left earth, Jesus said this, and be sure of this, I am with you always even to the end of the age. I think sometimes we forget that Jesus is always with us. We tend to get into problems or we tend to get into a crisis in our life or a painful time in our life and we feel so alone. We feel so alone and we wonder, where is God in this? Where in the world is God? Where is God when you hurt? Here's my answer to that. He's right there with you. 
He's right there with you. He's in the midst of the pain with you. He's right in the middle of the problem with you. He's right there by your side, ready to help you, ready to comfort you. And the Bible says this over and over. Pastor Dale read one of the passages earlier. Here's what it says. Again, this is my command. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And Isaiah 41, we read this. Don't be afraid, for I am with you. Don't be discouraged, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will hold you up with my victorious right hand. And then I like the way the message paraphrases Hebrews chapter 13. Here's what it says. Since God, God assured us, I'll never let you down, never walk off and leave you, we can boldly quote, God is there ready to help. I'm fearless no matter what. Who or what can get to me? These passages tell us we can always count on God to be with us during the good times and the bad times and the painful times and the times of joy and the lonely times. We can count on him to be with us. What is the loneliest time of day for most people? It's nighttime, isn't it? I mean, nobody wants to go to bed alone at night, and that's why they leave the radio or the television on when they get into bed, or they get into bed with somebody that they hardly know. And when you're alone at night, I mean, your fears just tend to exaggerate. Have you noticed that? I mean, when you're alone, the creaks in the house just sound worse when you're alone. You know, I mean, suddenly you're laying there and you're imagining every horror film that you have ever seen, you know. You're imagining those scenes, you know, and a knife coming through a shower curtain, you know, all, all those things. And even if that's not the case, your mind just seems to go into overdrive when you're alone. You can't chase away those fears, those concerns those questions but look at what psalm 4 tells us verse 8 psalmist writes this i will lie down in peace and sleep for though i am alone O lord you will keep me safe you can sleep soundly even when you're alone because god is with you and he will keep you safe recognizing god's presence can help us to avoid wrecking our life through isolation. We need to close. But do you remember that column that I started with it? We were talking about earlier that Marla Paul wrote in the Chicago Tribune. Listen to how she ended that article. Quote, I think there are women out there who don't know how lonely they are. It's easy enough to fill up the day with work and family, but no matter how much I enjoy my job and love my husband and child, they are not enough. I recently read my daughter, The Ugly Duckling, I felt an immediate kinship with this bird who flies from place to place looking for the creatures with whom he belongs. He eventually finds them. I hope I do too. What is the solution for isolation and for people searching for real relationships? I really believe that God created the church to be one of the solutions for that problem. I really believe that the church is the solution 
I heard a story of a little boy who was on a big city bus one day and he was swinging his feet back and forth and he got some dirt on uh, the skirt of the woman sitting next to him and the woman was a little upset about this and she said to the woman that she assumed was the boy's mom, I wish you'd tell your son to quit swinging his feet. And the woman said, that's not my son. I've never seen him before in my life. And the boy was embarrassed and he got up and he moved to another seat and he began to cry and he said, I, I'm sorry that I got dirt on your clothes. And she said, that's all right, but where are you going alone? And he said, I always travel alone. My father and my mother died and I live with my Aunt Maggie and when she gets sick of me, she sends me to live with my Aunt Elizabeth and that's where I'm going now. The woman looked at the boy again and he said, and she said, you're pretty young to be traveling alone. And he said, oh, I never get lost, but I do get lonely. So when I see someone that I'd like to be with who looks like a mom or a grandma, I sit with them like we might be family. That's why I sat next to you. The woman moved over to where he was. She sat close to him and she hugged him. You see, all he wanted was to belong to a family. Just to belong to a family. Now, I have no idea whether that story is true or not. But I do know what is true. There are a lot of lonely people who just want to feel like they belong. They just want to feel like they belong to a family. And they just want a place where they can come that it feels like home, that they feel happy and accepted. And I believe that impact has to be that place. That our church has to be that place. Let no one walk through our doors without feeling like they belong here. There are people who have been rejected by their spouse or maybe their parents. And for them, this has to be a place to belong. And there are people who have suffered abuse and who have uh, suffered hurt and grief. And for them, this has to be a place to belong. And there are people who have fallen and they have failed and they have uh, done all sorts of things that they're ashamed of. And for them, this has to be a place where they can belong. And there are many who will go all week long with just superficial relationships. They may go all week long without uh, anybody touching them physically. And they wonder if anybody cares. And for them, this has to be a place to belong. Let's not let anyone walk through the doors of impact without knowing that when they leave that they matter. They matter to God and they matter to us. We are family. This is home. And if you don't feel like you belong anywhere else in the world, I want to tell you, you belong here. You matter. You matter to God and you matter to us.